Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. S&P Global expects issuance of labeled debt to reach $900 billion to $1 trillion by the end of 2023. That would mean a 10% increase in total debt market issuance of green, social, transition, and sustainability-linked bonds since 2018. Stephanie Potter of S&P Global and Lisa Sachs of the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment are joining me for this Sustainable Finance Podcast episode. Part of the challenge of labeled debt is the lack of transparency about where assets are allocated. And in today's program, we'll be discussing the crucial questions of why companies need to be more focused on the use of proceeds. But first, I'm going to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning into this podcast, then you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about the latest opportunities or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, Stephanie and Lisa, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be with you. (laughs) Okay, so Lisa, we're going to start with you today. And the first question that I have is, um, well, a little background first. You launched the Columbia Center for Sustainable Investment in 2008. How are you expecting academic programs like this to impact the low carbon energy transition over time. Yeah, thanks so much, Paul. First of all, thanks for having me with you. And Stephanie, um, I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation. And yeah, thanks for asking about my uh, my love here at the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment. Um, because as you said, I really think that uh, universities actually are critical to achieving the energy transition and to other aspects of sustainable development. The energy transition, as I don't need to tell you or your listeners, requires a truly exceptionally complex mix of technological innovation, legal development, international cooperation, new financial structures and mechanisms, behavior change, and more. And all of these distinct disciplines need to be moving forward along a integrated and coordinated pathway at local levels, national levels, regional levels, international levels. So the challenge is not easy. It's doable, but it's not easy. And it requires rapid development and dissemination of new knowledge and understanding. And I believe that universities are uniquely placed to foster that interdisciplinary understanding and problem solving. At universities, we house a, we house many relevant departments of earth and planetary sciences, engineering, policy, human behavioral sciences, law, which is where I sit, urban design, finance, business administration, 
at universities, they don't always work together, but here at Columbia, we are we are actually making really notable progress in getting these disciplines to work together around the challenge of climate change and the energy, uh, the energy transition. So we have just launched, as you may know, Columbia has a new climate school, which is really to foster that interdisciplinary collaboration. Uh, it's a perfect example of an effort to integrate all of these disciplines. Uh, and we at CCSI have been trying to do that for 15 years, too, to incubate new ideas and technologies. We do rigorous research. We partner with many actors throughout the economy, with businesses, financial sector leaders, also with intergovernmental organizations, with other civil society partners, academia throughout the world, even frontline communities, um, so that we're learning and working together on finding solutions. And we work with our students so that they have these skills, the knowledge, the values, the ways of thinking, the exposure, and the networks that will contribute to their professional lives and helping to solve our most complex challenges. That's great. You know, uh, thanks for that for that broad perspective, Lisa, because uh, my next question is for Stephanie. And one of the things that has happened recently um, at in the in the ESG credit ratings world is that S&P Global is changing some of their reporting paradigms. And uh, Stephanie, let's uh, let's talk about the changes and growth that are emerging in the labeled debt market, including these changes related to credit ratings. So when we talk about the labeled debt space, and the key key to remember is we have two primary categories. We have the use of proceeds, and we have sustainability linked, which is an entity or company level assessment. Use of proceeds is just as it sounds. It's based on the proceeds of the bond or the loan. Green bonds, utilities, for example, have been a huge player in this space. It takes up about fifty five percent of the labeled debt market. It's the largest category of labeled debt. There's also transition financing which is relatively new and aimed at supporting standards and hard to abate sectors like oil and gas, cement and steel, uh, where there's no pure green technologies available, but there is a desire in the market to create more standards and transparency. Um, we also have social bonds and sustainability bonds um, that has a diverse use of proceeds. I think Rhino Bond is very popular, was issued by the World Bank to help increase uh, the population of endangered black rhino species in South Africa. Blue Bonds, which focus on uh, solving ocean-related problems like pollution, overfishing, climate change, impacts on marine ecosystems. Now, all of what I just articulated are proceeds-based. On the other side of the coin is a sustainability linked, different than the use of proceeds. You don't have to allocate financing in a specific way. Instead, the focus is on a company-level target and more general financing. But what is interesting is that the interest margins are linked to the company's performance on a set of predefined sustainability targets, which creates a direct financial incentive to meet sustainability goals, usually about five basis points. At S&P, we have a, a number of divisions. We have a market intelligence division for data, and we also have a ratings division, index division, ability division, flats, um, or commodity insights, or legacy flats division. So we have ESG information both in our ratings research reports, and we have ESG information within our data division through ESG scores. And ratings, we're only looking at creditworthy ESG factors, but in the data division, we have a much wider aperture on ESG issues. We cover over 14,000 public companies um, and provide ESG scores. 
most of the time our investors are using those ESG scores, not from a baseline scoring narrative, but more so to pull information as we collect almost a thousand data points per company. So what we've made a change in recently is in the way that we're articulating any ESG factors that were in our credit ratings research. When ESG became a more uh, prominent focus, we wanted to make it easier for investors and for the public to understand where we were seeing relevant sustainability and ESG factors. So we did our best to ensure this was transparent within our qualitative narrative within the ratings research. Now, in order to increase that transparency and that ease of understanding, we came up with an alphanumeric scale as well to show investors where the most prominent ESG issues were. Now, when we did that, what we found was that there was actually a lot more confusion that came about. And so very recently, we took that alphanumeric scale away. So to be clear, nothing has changed in the way that we are evaluating credit. The only thing that has changed is that we have taken away that alphanumeric scale that was really meant to guide the narrative on e any ESG or sustainability concerns. And, and when that didn't happen, we felt like there was more confusion, we took it away. Um, so that's really important to note. Another thing to kind of know and understand, I think it's increasingly important for our listeners is the amount of confusion that's in the media on ESG. When I first started, it was, it, there was a confusion around is ESG energy transition? Is it screening? Is it alternative data? Is it regulation? Is it traditional impact investing? Is it CSR? I didn't think it could get any worse. But in 2020, when politicians saw an opportunity to excite and divide the public on ESG, they took it. And it was it's caused a, a tremendous amount of confusion, much more than we've had actually when we started. We don't have a systematic way of pricing in the positive and negative externalities that companies have. Uh, ESG is simply a movement towards a more intelligent, long-term data-oriented capital market structure. And I think that's what a lot of Lisa's work is, is really helping to promote and provide a lexicon on. Stephanie, you've really given us several ideas here to work with related to the challenges in the labeled debt markets that I'm going to ask Lisa to talk a little bit more about now. It, you're right. This is a com very complex area. Uh, the reporting around it is, is at best unclear uh, and uh, we're not re always really sure what we're supposed to be looking at and evaluating when it comes to the debt market. So, Lisa, how do you expect that all of this confusion within the label debt markets is going to change the way that we think about how we use data like ESG points and look at the challenges, the longer-term challenges in the debt markets that Stephanie referenced from your point of view in the world of academia. Yeah, thanks so much. It's, as Stephanie said, both a very confusing but also, frankly, an exciting 
uh, and very dynamic time in financial markets in general, but especially, I would say, in labeled debt and particularly with respect to the energy transition. There are two fundamental and really critically important backdrops to this to the changes that are happening. One is that we need to mobilize trillions of dollars of capital to uh, toward energy toward climate solutions or toward um toward the energy transition. That's to finance the transition of high emitting sectors. It's to rapidly build and scale clean energy systems. There are many areas across the economy and especially in emerging and developing countries, so around the world, that need trillions of dollars of finance to reach our climate goals and to um, position the economy to a sustainable um, world, which we all want, and also to manage the risks. The other massive trend that I would note that's reflective in the massive growth in the debt market is the growing interest among all levels of investors um, and lenders to integrate sustainability considerations throughout their portfolio. And that means different things to different investors and to different lenders. Sometimes it's managing risks. Sometimes it's wanting to be part of the solutions, trying to actually help to mobilize some of the change. But the massive and accelerating interest among lenders and investors is undeniable. And I don't think that that's going to change. So those are two massive backdrops to the moment that we're in. But there's another aspect of the complexity that I think raises some real risk in this context, and that's that the labeled debt market, like other parts of the financial landscape, are plagued with credibility challenges and measurement challenges uh, and legitimacy challenges, and that risks the whole labeled debt market, and it has more systemic financial risks, I think, because... um, uh, because any risks to such large portions of our financial landscape have more broader systemic risks. So that lack of credibility, I think, is having real knock-on effects. Now, there's a, a, a method of reporting that is used in the, in the debt markets. Stephanie, I'm going to ask you to, to answer this question first, and then maybe Lisa might have some additional comments to add. But we're talking about integrated reporting. So mm-hmm. t- tell our audience what the link is between labeled debt and integrated reporting. So it's such a great question, Paul. Um, so integrated reporting is, I think, at it's the conceptual bedrock of sustainability and ESG. It's the movement to push companies to place material sustainability information alongside their financial metrics. Currently, we have the ISSB, which is doing a tremendous amount of work around the topic of what companies need to report on um, within their various industries. The reason why it's so important as it relates to labeled debt is because creating an an integrated report is for most companies not, they're not structurally aligned to do that. So historically, and even today for the most part, finance, treasury, IR, sustainability teams, chief sustainability officers have worked in silos. And labeled debt comes into play because issuing labeled debt requires that you break down the silos. Um, So the various groups are typically um, working together to issue labeled debt to 
looked at to track the sustainability metrics. And that cross-collaboration is what's needed for that long-term vision of integrated reporting. So issuing labeled debt in many ways could, could be like working, working the muscles internally to create a more sound operational structure and communication pattern, which would later behoove integrated reporting. You know, that that makes a, a lot of sense. And I'm going to ask Lisa to, to respond um, to that question also. One of the things that I'm seeing as new positions are created within corporations related to sustainability, whether it's a chief sustainability officer or a, a head of a team, is that uh, there's a whole new, there's a restructuring going on within corporate America around um, job responsibilities. And for example, chief sustainability officers are, are now um, being, uh, you know, um, charged with running the whole sustainable platform for, in many cases, giant global corporations. And so they really need to have access to, for example, to the C-suite folks on a regular basis. Lisa, how is integrated reporting part of that process? And what do you see over the next 10 years or so as to how it, it will finally or how it will become more integrated and more broadly used throughout the debt markets. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly interesting trend that you're both discussing. I think the kind of the three new roles for traditional somewhat siloed sustainability departments is that they're now involved in strategy, they're involved in compliance, and they're involved in investor relations. Those are three kind of new functions for sustainability departments. Um, and it reflects, as you're saying, that kind of the demands and the expectations around sustainability, both the managing of the risks and uh, having some positive contributions are becoming more mainstream in companies. They're uh, expected both of companies consumers um, and also of their investors. So the lines are getting blurred. And uh, I think in a positive way that there's a more, oh, and the compliance part, let me just add, because the regulatory framework is rapidly developing and companies are going to be held more accountable for the claims they make and for the impacts they have. So I think the integration of these rules and responsibilities is useful. It's a positive trend. Uh, it wasn't good for sustainability to be a siloed department, and it makes sense that it's integrated throughout. What I would say is that I think that it's an um, important layer to the whole challenge. It's not the only solution. It's useful that we have different parts of companies and different parts of issuers working collectively because they have to in order to be at all serious about any of the ESG claims they're making, these actually have to be integrated efforts so that it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. So if I can maybe just mention some of the um, other challenges related to the label debt market that I see that are not entirely addressed by integrated reporting, but will have to be to address the credibility of the label debt market, I would say that there are at least four types of challenges or credibility issues in particular with label debt, which are front of mind to me and I think to many others. One is the question of whether the projects that are actually being funded, so how the proceeds are being used, are really 
green? Are they really sustainable? Are they really having a climate impact? Are they really social, socially beneficial? So one is, are these projects that are being funded through, in particular, use of proceeds bonds actually um, positive or are they are they green so to speak to use the um to use a generic term the second is whether the issuers overall are on a trajectory that is consistent with the energy transition so for instance you could have a large carbon major a large fossil fuel company issue green debt for a legitimate um you know, solar installation and that project may be green, but if the overall company is uh, inconsistent with the transition, then that's a form of greenwashing, really. And that's a credibility concern that happens um, across the board. A third credibility issue is whether companies will actually deliver on their commitments. So they're these, the they're issuing debt on the basis of certain commitments or KPIs, but at the moment there's little transparency or accountability for whether companies are actually meeting those targets and delivering those impacts. And a fourth issue that I see is that the claim is widely made that labeled debt is bringing additional resources to uh, the energy transition or to climate impact, that this is bringing new finance to projects or to entities that otherwise wouldn't be financed. And there are many questions with that additionality claim. So to me, these are four critical areas of credibility in the labeled debt market that are um, you know, threatening to undermine the continued growth and interest and that are top of mind for regulators because they're um, because they're really profoundly important to, um, to whether the, the labeled debt market uh, helps to meet our challenge and are not sufficiently addressed by some of these reorganization within the companies as, as important as those are. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Lisa. And Stephanie, we're going to jump forward um, to how the Cicero acquisition will change the S&P second-party opinion offerings. How is that going to, to, to change the way that, that uh, um, labeled debt is being seen and being used within the marketplace? Yeah, sure. So... So S&P provides second-party opinions, um, and the on-label debt, so it's like an audit of, of the label debt space, and we plan to expand the, the breadth and the depth of our offering through a recent acquisition of the Shades of Green business, um, which we made in December of 2022, from Cicero. So Cicero is Norway's foremost Institute for Interdisciplinary Climate Research and Shades of Green was a division for their climate research division. And they performed the first ever SPO on a green bond for the World Bank in 2008. So a very long history of this. And the Shades of Green methodology was developed to assess the extent to which a given activity or technology supports the low carbon and climate resilient future. So shades of green are essentially a scale that goes from dark green, which represents a Paris aligned future. You can think assets like um, solar power, for example, to red, which represent assets or technologies that need to be phased out in order to meet that decarbonization promise. Okay. So 
We are just about out of time today, and there's a lot more to talk about. Uh, so we'll have to come back for another episode uh, with both of you and Stephanie and Lisa in for the moment. Where online can our listeners learn more about S&P Global and the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment? And how can followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast contact you with questions about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode? Thanks so much. I'll, I'll jump in because we would love to hear from your listeners. Our research and our engagement is informed very much by hearing from those who are uh, grappling with these incredibly complex challenges. That's what drives what we work on uh, and, and how we um, think about these, these challenges. So I would very much welcome hearing from your listeners. Our website is just ccsi.columbia.edu. That's CCSI, the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment. So ccsi.columbia.edu. And our contact information um, is on our website, uh, both my own personally and for the center. And we would absolutely love to hear from your viewers and Paul to continue the conversation with you. Great. Stephanie, how about S&P? You and S&P. Yeah, so fantastic. So we have a Sustainable One homepage. So I represent a group called Sustainable One. We are strategy and research division of all things sustainability related within all of the S&P divisions. We also have a lot of sustainability-based information within our ratings division webpage. So if you go to S&P ratings, it's very easy to navigate to our sustainability information. And I would be happy to, to contact anyone um, if they would like additional information over, over LinkedIn as well. Great. Well, for both of you, if you have a couple of links that you'd like us to include with this program when we drop it, we'd be glad to have those uh, uh, on the in the attachments tab as well. So thank you very much, Stephanie Potter and Lisa Sachs. And for our listeners, if you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable Finance Podcast.